Hi everyone and welcome back to How to College, our podcast where we get together with fellow first gens to have discussions on what it's like to be the first one in your family to go to college, graduate, and live a life post being the first one. My name is Norma Torres Mendoza and I'll be your host for the day. Today we're going to have a conversation with one of my good friends, Alejandro, about his decision to obtain an MBA and to take debt to do so. Alejandro will talk to us about his relationship with money, about his sense of security and his sense of wanting to be able to provide for the causes that he cares about. He will then walk us through the logic of why he took on $80,000 worth of debt to go to the Wharton Business School. So let's get started. Hi, Alejandro. Welcome to the show. How's your day going? Hey, Norma. I'm having a great day here in Washington, D.C. Um, I just grabbed some tamales from my local uh, grocery shop, and I just uh, had a good, a nice little coffee. Nice. Well, thank you so, so much for taking the time to talk to our guest today. Um, so Alejandro and I known, have known each other since, I don't know, we were little kids in at Rice University, an undergraduate. Um, but for our audience who does not know you, why don't you begin by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, definitely. So I ended up at Rice through this kind of the sequence of very interesting and very fortunate events. Uh, I was born in Ecuador uh, to a very low-income family. My grandparents raised me because my mom was a teenage single like mom. Um, they themselves never really finished school. So my grandpa has probably like a fourth grade education, like I'm a little bit higher, like fifth grade. Um, but they always like reinforce kind of the value of like education matters, this is the way out, like for for our children, because I have an uncle um, for a grandchild. Um, and so that was just like always present in my mind. And also being my mom, kind of go to school, take care of me, have like three jobs, like as a KFC worker, <laughs> as a clown, she like moonlit as a clown as well. And like a fishboard operator, but still like making the time to go to school, like go to night classes, and like even if she had to take me in the bus, just like making it there and making sure that she like she knew it was gonna take her, she knew it was gonna take a long time to graduate, but she still put in the work um, in spite of all of her other responsibilities, and so that just always made me realize like, hey, you need this is something that you need to pay attention to. Um, so I was very driven from the beginning. Eventually, my mom ended up marrying an American, which is how I made it to the States. Um, long story short, he was an international school teacher. So we moved from Ecuador to Kenya in Africa, then from Kenya to Mississippi for two years, and then Mississippi to China, uh, where I was for three years, my last three years of high school, before I came to school in the States. Um, to study engineering, back then energy was a big thing. It still is, obviously. Um, there were, just when you thought about the highest market value companies, you thought about Exxon. That was the biggest company at the time. It was not an Apple or anything technology related. And so I wanted to work in the space because I, I really saw that as like a way to um, make a career. Everybody in Ecuador had money, worked in oil. Didn't realize what I was getting myself into uh, because you know, later down the line, I don't do any of the work anymore for obviously a lot of environmental issues. But that was kind of the beginning part of my career. Um, went to Rice, met Norma. We spent a lot of like nights in the library together, just like 
doing a lot of work. It was very challenging, but that gave me the opportunity to then start in consulting where I worked at Deloitte, also with Norma, um, unsurprisingly, for the first four years of my career. Um, then I went off to, to Wharton, the University of Pennsylvania, to start an MBA. Uh, I really wanted to kind of think a, a little bit more about finance and, and get more in that space. I uh, did a, a summer internship in investment banking, decided the hours were brutal, and my life, I think maybe this is related, relatable for a lot of like very hardworking, um, like first-generation children. I think you're so focused on making sure the career is there, making sure you're working towards something that you like realize you have a lot of gaps in your like personal life. Uh, I realized that, and I realized investment banking was not the job. I got an offer, but I like turned it down. Not even after I signed it, unfortunately. Um, and then I recruited, and I ended up at the Boston Consulting Group, where I now work, um, based out of Washington D.C. Uh, the majority of the work that I do now um, has focused on like private investors, private equity, a lot of diligences, a lot of private equity companies buying companies and coming to BCG for advice on on whether they should. Uh, but increasingly, I'm I'm growing a lot more interested in climate. Um, have worked. And I'm actually working on a growth strategy that for a climate-based kind of client, uh, which should be really interesting. And it goes hand in hand with my partner, who is an indigenous activist in the Amazon uh, and works in climate and was just at COP. So it's good. I think I'm going in the right direction. I've worked myself away from oil. But anyway, I know that was way longer than two minutes, but... <laughs> No, that was perfect. Yeah. You yeah. gave a, a very good comprehensive overview of your life. I'm actually going to break it down a little bit um, just so our audience can understand your thought process as you went through the different stages in your life. So Alejandro, it sounds to me that you began your career, and, and correct me if I, if I misunderstood this, but it sounds to me like you began your career with this sense of how do I gain financial security, right? Yeah. You kind of looked around in Ecuador and you were like, who makes the most money? Okay, great. They're engineers. They're oil and gas engineers. I think I'm going to do that. But then somewhere in there, it turned out that maybe even though money was still important, it wasn't necessarily what you wanted to do. So what, what were some of the things that led you to say, oh, actually oil and gas engineering, even though I just studied four really long years and studied really long nights, is not what I'm going to do. Yeah. And I think maybe for the nerdier like math kids out there, uh, I realized that one, engineering was what I studied and what I truly love doing, but that I just needed to be a little bit more well-rounded in terms of the skills that I had. Uh, I was just kind of a little robot turning numbers and putting together like these like very kind of complex, like coding problems. Uh, and I realized that's not the skill that I will need if I really want to maximize my potential. I need to be able to talk to people. I need to be able to present things, um, lead teams, work in teams, and do that probably better than like what I already know that I can do very well, which is engineering. Um, so that was how I started to kind of build another engineering strength. And I, I think it's a great major. Even if you don't end up going into engineering, I think it teaches you a lot of things, as do many other majors. Um, but that's kind of how I started initially to 
step away from engineering. I still did a lot of work in oil and gas, even at Deloitte. Um, and that took a little bit longer, kind of the recognition that uh, I think some, oftentimes we have this, this thought of like, yes, the world is falling apart, but also I'm coming from a very bad spot. So like, I just need to capitalize on the best opportunity out there to make the most money that I can. And I remember like, think, like looking for colleges and the thing that I looked up Google search, I still remember to this day was highest paying major. And that was chemical engineering. And I looked up where are the highest paid chemical engineers? And that was Houston, Texas. And that's what led me to make my decision to go to Rice. Um, but eventually I think it really came to boil for me in, in actually my MBA program when I started to do a lot more reflecting on career stuff, on what I wanted my impact to be. I'd already have a lot of friends in education. So I started to do more work in education too. Um, even worked for the Texas Education Agency for a little bit. But I think at that point, kind of just that moment of self-reflection of a career and where I wanted my life to go. And after just having kind of wrapped up an internship in an investment bank that does a lot of energy work, uh, also at a time when the Amazon was like in a lot of, of kind of coverage in the news because of fires, made me realize that this is, I, I just need to take, take a stronger stand and, I have built my career over enough years to now, to where I can make the decision now to like not do that kind of work. And when I came to BCG, I, I did say explicitly, I cannot do work for any energy companies if it's not climate related. Uh, and that's something that they respected and I'm thankful for. But it does kind of, I think my advice would be think really critically in your early years about what you're devoting your time into. And even though it may seem like the best alternative because we oftentimes don't have a lot of alternatives um, to make the most money. Just realize that that's going to stay with you for a long time. And for me now it works because a lot of like industrial goods companies and energy companies are trying to decarbonize. So there is a lot more of that work. Um, but I don't think that would have necessarily been what I would have gone into, you know? So just like think a little bit more critically about your values and like when you see yourself in 20 years, uh, who do you see yourself as? And is, is the path that you're taking that really leading you to that? And if it's not, then, you know, and you still want to go ahead with it, then you just got to think about how how you make your way out of it pretty much. Right. But, and I think what I realized really earlier on is that there's also other ways to make quite a bit of money, right? I mean, being an, a petroleum engineer is one, but there's a lot of other ways. And, you know, when we were, 22. I mean, Deloitte was not shabby to work for. <laughs> we still made pretty good money for, you know, 22 year olds. But the reason why I began my train of thought with this sense of security, financial security, is because the topic for today is getting an MBA and the debt that comes with it. And I think that all of us have a relationship with money. And I just wanted to point to the audience how your relationship with money began. So then we fast forward, you work at Deloitte, you're making good money, then you decide, actually, it's time to go get an MBA. So before we talk about the money aspect of the MBA, I would love to hear the thought process of why an MBA and why after four years of working as a consultant at Deloitte. Yeah, um, in consulting, it is an industry where, and it's become less that, uh, th this model, but usually an MBA was seen as kind of something that you needed. Even when I left, though, that that was something that had started to change significantly, and people were kind of getting promoted without, um, you know, an MBA. 
but I did see kind of for my particular path that an MBA would very quickly in two years, um, you know, around triple my salary. And so it just kind of seemed like an, a decision that made sense at the time to try to accelerate my um, salary as, as much as possible uh, in as short of a time as possible. And of course, it came with the cost of an MBA or, or of an investment. So I really did see it as an investment. Um, it is like one of those careers where if, or one of those degrees to where if, you know, you pay attention to the school, you pay attention to how they place with employers. Um, it can make a lot of financial sense if that value proposition of the school is we place a lot of students and they're making like at least 180, 200 out of, out of school, out of their MBA program. You know, that, that's probably worth it, to be honest. Uh, just from a financial standpoint, the, the money that you're going to put in, it, it, it's going to pay off, right? And so that's what led me to my decision. I was like, this is probably the easiest and fastest way that I have of really kind of taking a few steps up the, the pay scale. Um, and so I went with it, <laughs> mainly because of the financial reason of, of doing it earlier rather than later. Right. But then the other component of it is the salary you're no longer making, right? So mm-hmm. I've talked to a lot of people that say, yes, my salary might double, but I've, I'm also stepping out of the market for two years. Um, and so when you did the math, though, it still made sense for you to pursue this, even though you were going to not make any money for two years. Yeah, and I did get a lot of scholarship support from Wharton. There were a lot of schools that offered me like full rights as well, which looking back on it, and we can talk a little bit more about that, I will, I maybe should have taken. Um, but for me, the consideration was, I also had an offer for sponsorship from Deloitte. Uh, so there was, there, there, I was in a unique situation where there was a lot of potential funding. Uh, I still had to take out, even after savings and after all of the financial kind of um, help that I got from Wharton and the Hispanic Scholarship Fund and other kind of sources of, of scholarships. Like at the end of the day, I, I still needed to take out 80K. Um, but even with the around 100K that I was making at Deloitte every year, I mean, that's like 280K, the, the, the cost of going for me. Um, which for a lot of people that looks closer to like 200 or even more, um, sorry, it looks closer to like $400,000, like the cost of not working at a job for two years and then taking on $200,000 of debt. Uh, for a lot of people that don't get financial assistance, that would be a very high cost, right? Um, but, you know, depending on the industry that you want to work on, in, so obviously, if you're going to go work for a nonprofit and you know that your salary expectations are not going to be as high, maybe the 400000 doesn't make sense. I knew that wasn't the case for me. I knew that I would either come back to Deloitte and have them pay for a lot of it uh, and still be making around like one, at the time it was like 150 to 200 I think, or I would end up working in investment banking and be making even more than that, or another consultancy and be making you know, more than what I was making at Deloitte. So for me, it just like, if, if you take kind of the amount that you're going to be making and you take your debt level, if it's like, you know, 1x or 2x what you're making, uh, the debt that you have to pay, then I think it's probably okay, like 1 to 1.5x. But if your expected salary is, of course, not as high, then, yeah, I think you have to think a little bit more about whether it makes sense for you. Like when the number of 
when that multiple of potential income to the debt that you're taking on is maybe 4x or 5x, I think that uh, might worry me a little bit more. So what you're saying here, Alejandro, is that number one, it, it just depends on your personal situation, right? Everybody out there who is considered an MBA has different variables to consider to make the equation work for them. So for example, right, for me, I was able to get a full ride or I could take on a little bit of debt for other schools. And, and for me, it made sense to go for a school that um, was covering the, the whole bill. Mm -hmm. But I want to go back to, you, you sort of glossed over it. You did have offers that were, were paying everything. So yeah. why did you decide $80,000 was worth it to take on for debt? Because a lot of people would argue an MBA is an MBA, maybe. Yeah. So I'd love to hear what, you know, you're still going to learn accounting, you're still going to learn finance, mm -hmm. but what were the other variables that you were taking into account that that made that $80,000 worth of yeah. debt? Yeah, so I went between two very good schools. Uh, Berkeley was the other school and they offered to pay for everything. There, with Berkeley, there's also the opportunity to apply for even more scholarship. So there is a universe where, and of course, all of that is very competitive, um, where it would have been like getting paid to go to school might have been a potential universe, right? Versus paying 80K at Wharton. Um, I think if I have to break it down, and it is very specific, like the, the reason why you would not go to a program that's very prestigious and go at like Berkeley versus another equally prestigious program like Wharton, uh, and for that money difference to need to make sense, it has to just be like a very specific reason. For me, there was this program at Penn that I kind of just kind of fell in love with. They were they're the only Ivy at the time, and I think still the only Ivy that had a catch-up program. Um, as, you know, a lot of mestizo and Latino and indigenous Latino people um, there's like an interest there. There's more of an interest there. And this seemed like a very unique like opportunity to study something that I had always been very curious about. Um, and I wasn't going to get that at, Ber at Berkeley. So that was like really the main reason. Um, the second reason was I just thought Wharton as a school was bigger in terms of for somebody that didn't necessarily know what they wanted to do, like whether it was banking, whether it was tech, whether it was my investment consulting, I just felt like, and this is just my impression, that it would have given me, and it did give me a lot more kind of room to explore. Um, but of course, because the class size is so much bigger, that came at a disadvantage of it increasingly competitive, like everything is very competitive at that school. Um, so I think it was a factor of those two things, just like having more room to, to pivot into different careers, different geographies. Uh, I, I'm not a fan of the West Coast or the tech industry in the West Coast, so that was less of a consideration for me. Um, and in addition to being able to like pivot to different geographies and interests and all of that, it, like the, the catch-up program for me, which I know is very specific, factored very heavily into the decision, just as like a unique thing that I wasn't gonna get somewhere else. No, I think that totally makes sense, right? And and I, I think that if people have the opportunity to go and sit in the classroom, I think you will know. I think you sort of know, like, these are the people I want to be learning from. These are the professors. This is the program I want to be in. And and I think all those little things that, that you mentioned add up 
for you to be able to make a decision that you feel comfortable with. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then I also wanted to mention, I thought about getting a dual degree. Uh, I was accepted by like an MPP program uh, and I, I thought about it. I thought about it a lot, but I didn't get any, any funding there. Uh, and I think but when we're talking about like funding up what makes sense, I think it's very hard to get one of these very expensive degrees, especially if it's like an add-on to an MBA where you're already getting kind of the core like benefits from the MBA. Uh, if you have to pay a sticker price or something additional, just because you want to do it, you know what I mean? For me, that wasn't worth it. And I didn't get any funding for that program. So I didn't end up going there. Um, but I just kind of wanted to throw that in that, you know, it, although that would have also been a very interesting, rewarding experience for me. And it just comes down to personal preference. It just wasn't worth kind of taking on that much more debt to go to an extra program where I was already getting a lot of the benefits uh, from the MBA anyway. That totally makes sense. Um, so if you had to say, and this might be a hard question, and, and I don't even know how I would answer it. I can take a stab too. Um, but what were the three things you think were most valuable from an MBA that at the end of the day, you're like, yep, worth it. 80K, the big spectrum of things might not be a big deal. Can you point to three very specific things or yeah. maybe even grandiose things that you're like, yep, made it worth it? Yeah, for me, it was the, the number one. Oh, well, actually, probably not the number one, but it is very important. Uh, just the salaries of people that are exiting with the MBAs and the employment statistics. Like if that is solid, if the employers are there, if people are getting offers that are paying well, then you worry a lot less about that 80K. Um, the other thing is just, I, I grew, I actually participated a lot in that Quechua program. I ended up picking up Quechua uh, and that kind of set out this whole discovery process of what, you know, um, a lot of the things that are in Ecuador, which is where I'm from, and a lot of the communities that are there that still retain kind of some affiliation to the language. Um, and also, of course, the communities and their economic makeup. And they led me to do a project there during COVID. Uh, and that's how I met my current partner, uh, who is, as we kind of started off, like an indigenous activist from the Amazon who speaks Quechua. <laughs> uh, so I feel like, if anything, that was probably the most valuable thing to me uh, from a personal standpoint, just putting in the hours to try to like better understand the language, better understand the people who speak it, um, and then push myself to immerse myself more in that, as many of us have had to do when we come into this country, you know? Um, those would be the two main ones. And the third one, just a brand. I think the, the, the fact that you have a degree from XYZ University, when you graduate as an undergrad, that's a big thing. That's like a little paper crown. Nobody's going to take that away from you. Similarly with the MBA, it's one of those things where, unfortunately, the way the credentialing and employment works, um, people will always tell you it's about merit. But no, truly, it's, it's the, the job market, especially for these very high-paying jobs, that degree comes for a lot, unfortunately. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, to be completely honest, it's kind of an ugly looking piece of cardboard paper. <laughs> it looks like somebody just literally printed it and it's all in Latin. So it looks like somebody made a lot of typos. Uh, but that thing is worth a lot of money and not just like money that I put into it, but also, um, like employer interests and doors and people who are willing to talk to you on LinkedIn. Uh, 
or other outside of LinkedIn as well. So yeah, those three things. The, the, the first one would be obviously the ending salary, employment statistics. The second one would be like the personal growth that I was able to have to the, my engagement in the catch-up program. And the third one would be just a piece of paper. <laughs> like helps a lot, to be honest. I love your answer for two reasons. Um, the first part, I, I love the honesty that comes with it. Um, and then the second reason is that I I love that it wasn't just the pure professional answer. Your life was transformed. Your personal life was transformed. You made it a mission to understand a language, to immerse yourself in the culture. And that was a goal you had before you started. And at the end of it, you can concretely say, I did X, I did Y to get closer to to who I want to be as a person. Mm. So so I, I love that because I don't know that I know a lot of MBAs who are thinking, who am I, how am I going to grow professionally? I think for most of us, it's like, it's the salary, it's the prestige, is you know, it's what comes, the doors that are open with this MBA and not necessarily when I walk out the door in two years, how am I going to be a different person? Mm-hmm. And, and I and I think that's so smart and wise. And, and I encourage all of our first gens that are thinking about MBAs to to tackle it that way because the the debt that you're going to take, yes, obviously it has a lot to do with your professional journey, but it also has to do with there are there are some things that money cannot buy, mm-hmm. and there are some things that we cannot measure the return of investment. And I would say that your reason number two. That would be so hard to measure the ROI yeah. of this. And yet it has fundamentally transformed who you are today. Yeah. I mean, the, it shapes who my partner is, the things that I care about. Even a desire to go and not do more energy work was driven by that amount of reflection of how a lot of communities um, are being very tangibly impacted by by the energy industry. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, it was, it was a huge thing for me. Um, but also, it did come with a trade-off, right? Like, when you care about something and you really want to nurture something, it is also not an easy language to <laughs> begin to understand or speak. Um, it just took a lot of time. And that meant I wasn't going, like, on these lavish trips, also because I have a lot of, like, financial responsibilities to some family members. Um, I wasn't, you know, like, uh, sometimes it was more important for me to go to a... Um, like a practice session with other classmates and go to a dinner with some of my MBA classmates. So I do think, yes, think about the person that you're going to become and how you will take this once in a lifetime to your opportunity to really figure a lot of things out, not just on the professional side, but also on the personal side. And just realize that you're going to have to be making trade-offs that you, if you commit to something and you really want to give it your best, you know, shot and be kind of authentic with how far you want to take it. It is going to take time and you are probably going to have less fun than a lot of the other MBAs that are there just like to party because there's a lot of those kids too. Uh, and just uh, be, be okay with it. You know, it's a two-year process. Uh, those decisions can sometimes be a little isolating, but just kind of realize why you're there and how you're trying to grow and don't get distracted because there's a lot of, uh, noise all the time from parties and trips and dinners and all of this kind of stuff that you like kind of want to take part on but maybe need to prioritize other things over and you know that is one thing that i regret about my mba alejandro 
I don't know that I was as laser focused as as what you described. I, I think that there were I I was drinking out of a water hose yeah. and there were so many things left and right that I was just like, yeah, that sounds interesting. Yeah, that sounds interesting. And I don't I mean obviously I turned out okay, right? Like I finished, I graduated, but I don't know that I walked in there the way you did with this very wise mentality of like, I am trying to learn X. I am trying to learn Y. I think for me, it was like, I'm getting an MBA because it's paid for and because I'm going to make twice as much when I graduate. (laughs) Yeah, if if we're just being honest. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think, but it, it, I did it. I mean, looking back at my life, I am kind of a little robot in that I got an idea inside of my head, like the whole engineering and Houston thing. And then I just kind of want to do it. But it doesn't, it's more organic than that. You know, like I, I think that there was still like a lot of struggle, believe you me, like to take on all of the coursework that I had to for my MBA. Also, I did a lot of recruiting for investment banking. It did not look cute. Like, girl, like... <laughs> I was having some more like late library nights, late ponder nights, looking really raggedy in my classes sometimes because it was exhausting. And I think maybe that's relatable to a lot of, uh, you know, first generation, other first generation folks. You just feel like these opportunities, I think we appreciate them a little bit more. And that just pushes us to do more, even if that may lead you to like drink from a water fountain, because a lot of this stuff maybe things that you're seeing for the first time and the courses are challenging. Also, not particularly the Rice MBA program has a reputation for being very challenging uh, and like making their classes very like rigorous so that they get very polished, you know, new graduates. So that may have impacted your experience too, Norma. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it didn't seem as purposeful, but now that you like mentioned it, I do realize now that I become obsessive about something. <laughs> so don't know. Well, no, and yeah. And I, and I think that one thing, so I talked about my regrets. One thing I think that I did do well on is ke- keeping things into perspective because I think, as you mentioned, for Rice, the MBA, it's rigorous and people care so much about grades, mm. right? And I had a very early on conversation with myself and even with some of my professors where I said, look, I'm not going to be a finance guru. I'm not trying to do investment banking. I'm trying to just pass your class. This is my second master's. I am not willing to sacrifice everything for me to be like for me to get an A in something that I might or might not care about. (laughs) And so at least from that perspective, I think I did that really well. And I just kept it. I, I kept it into like, this is, to me, this is a part of something bigger. When I want, when I run for office and I need to pass a budget, I just need to know the finance behind this. Yeah. I need to, I need to be able to read a freaking financial statement. But I, I, by no means of imagination, do I want to do this for a living. Yeah. No, that's uh, that is real. That is very real. A lot of people care about grades, especially in bigger programs. The people that have more of a chance of people caring about grades or caring specifically about this one class. But that, that's real. I mean, definitely, I think uh, having the perspective of what you want to get out of it is key. And at the end of the day, to be completely honest, like I do a lot of work for investors. I use very little of the finance that like we like, picked up or even the accounting or any of that, um, which is, honestly, it's a little surprising, but 
I mean, there you have it. That is what it is. Uh, but yeah. But you wouldn't be able to be there without your MBA. Right. Like right? the paper. Paper counts. Right. Little certificate of achievements. Like it counts or something. Um, Definitely. Yeah. So I know we're coming to the end of our time together. I would like to finish with what advice would you have for other first-generation college students that are thinking about an MBA uh, that they might be having conversations with their families about even continuing to study? And, and families are like, what in the world? Why? Why You've already graduated. You quote-unquote made it. And then, so any, any words that you have there? And then how what questions they should be asking themselves when they think about this debt and whether um, this debt is going to make sense for them. I think the biggest piece of advice is start very early. The year before I actually applied, I had thought about applying. I was starting to put my materials together. Uh, and then I just kind of realized like, wait, what? There's this thing called MLT, Management Leadership for Tomorrow. And they do months long of long of preparation like that they do work for you as they have coaches on the free and it's all brown and black people what like i had no idea about this and <laughs> you know i think start early and learn about all of the opportunities like mlt all of the opportunities like jumpstart um start thinking about all of the gaps that you have in terms of like what your story is and even just thinking about your story i actually do some moonlighting work as an admissions consultant for MBA students. Um, and there's just like a lot of opportunities and people underestimate just how much a good story, how much money that can give you. <laughs> uh, and there is, everyone has an amazing story, especially if you're a first generation, you don't have to uh, like really look for material. Now, of course, like there's this whole thing of, you know, what do admissions cost, like what do admissions officers like to read and whether it's like too much drama porn, like a, what do you call it, trauma porn, right? Um, but I mean, I think there might be more of a desire to do that if you just like are very close to the deadline and like, all right, what are the like hardest experiences that I've had to show like resilience and like just put that on paper. But if you take the time to actually like maybe a year or a year and a half to prepare for it, you're gonna come up with a much better kind of view of who you are because ultimately the essays that you end up writing really are your lifespan for the next five, 10 years. Uh, a lot of it is about goals. Just start thinking more about that and start thinking about what you need to work on and demonstrate to make that like story that you're writing believable. Um, and also just time to apply for these programs, apply for scholarships, um, start networking with folks because that can very heavily offset the cost of an MBA. I think if I hadn't done management leadership for tomorrow, if I had applied the year that I like wanted to apply to, I would have ended up with a way worse set of offers, not knowing myself as well, not having like a legitimate like plan for what I wanted to work on, what I wanted to do. Um, and then what up just another service. So if you feel like waiting one more year, uh, we'll get you like way more prepared than do that. And then just make sure that when you apply your Leveraging all of the resources uh, that are there for the, for the MBA program, especially MLT. Shout out to my coach, Krista uh, <laughs> Giancarlo. They're a great organization and they're very helpful in this process. Awesome. We will make sure to link MLT in our website and consortium and Jumpstart yeah. and all the awesome yeah. programs that yeah. are out there. 
Um, perfect. And as a matter of fact, you told me about consortium. So thank you. You were the one that got me my free ride to Rice MBA. <laughs> you did that yourself. But like, yes, when I saw the program, I was like, ah, everybody has to know about this. And everybody did kind of know about it. But I feel like yeah. they don't market themselves or they didn't used to market themselves very well. Like if you're a brown or black person who's thinking about an MBA, you definitely need to know about the consortium because they're giving out full rides to, to school. Absolutely. And it's it's funny how the whole circle goes, you know, completes itself because now I'm I'm headed to consortium, I'm headed to MLT to go recruit yeah. people for my company. So here we are. The circle continues. It is. It is. And I just want to say like the network of MLT is super strong. Um, one of our partners in the Washington DC office is an MLT alumni. And of you know, obviously all of these institutions, it's very hard to see or very uncommon to see a black or brown partner. Actually we have two. We have a Hispanic partner and then we have a black partner as well for both MLT alumni. And they care a lot and they do a lot of work with MLT. So it's even outside of just getting prepared, I think it's it's a wonderful network to be part of, full of a lot of driven people that and care a lot about the success of our communities. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Alejandro, for spending this time with us. I feel like we need to have you back and have a different conversation. <laughs> but for now, this this is great and this is very helpful. Um, thank you. Thank you. And I hope you have a wonderful Sunday. Yeah. Thank you, Norma. It was great talking to you. And uh, yeah, thank you. You too. Well, that's a wrap, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in today. As we learn from Alejandro, taking on debt for business school has to be a decision that is truly your own and it is individualized to your needs and wants for the future. For Alejandro, it made sense given the job that he was looking for post his MBA had a positive return of investment. He was thinking about this as a long-term investment in himself, his education, but also in his skills. He talked about going to the Warren Business School for an individualized approach um, on something he really cared about, uh, learning Quechua, learning about his background and his culture. And so those are the kind of decisions and those are the kind of variables you have to think about as you decide whether or not the debt is worth it for you. As always, don't forget to share this with someone who you think might benefit from this conversation. And don't forget to like us on your favorite podcast. Until next time.